Welcome to the Ubernomic Strategy Podcast. I'm Barbara Gray, a former sell-side equity analyst and the author of Ubernomics, The Next Generation of Business Strategy. Today I'm speaking with Adam Broadway, the CEO and founder of Near Me, a white-label marketplace platform company that he started over three years ago. In 2004, Adam co-founded Business Catalyst, a SaaS company which he sold to Adobe in 2009. I connected with Adam back in the fall, and he actually interviewed me as a guest on his podcast, The Crowd, which I highly recommend taking a look at if you want to get up to speed on marketplaces. I hope you enjoy our interview. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks, Barbara, and it's a pleasure to be your first guest on this podcast. Thank you. Okay, let's get right down to it. So what inspired you to start uh, Ribbit Software, and how did this evolve into Business Catalyst? Well, before I got started with Rivet Software, which was a software company focus, I started with computer hardware and I dropped out of school at 16 and in my lunch break from working in the local grocery store, I would go to the local computer store. This is back in the days when the PC compatible just first came out. And I got my education through working in my lunch breaks, going and learning from the owner of the, the store, Leanne Martin, who to this day is probably the one, one of the most talented engineers I've ever uh, had the pleasure of being able to work with. And she mentored me through my lunch breaks and then eventually offered me a job. So by the time I had finished working there, I had a huge knowledge, more so than any of my friends that went on and did computer science. I had real practical hardware experience, sales experience. The problem with hardware was that it went from three percent, mar- uh, sorry, from three hundred percent margins to three percent margins in a very short space of time, from the XT compatible up to the Pentium, mm-hmm. profitability tanked. So that's when I went, I've got to get into software, and started Ribbit Software. We saw an opportunity in uh, local government and in some mid-tier customers service companies that needed knowledge management tools and we were building intranet software to help those companies disseminate information from within their teams to the front desk so that when people called there was a internal website that people could go to and get information to answer a call and not have to defer the question to the subject matter expert and create bottlenecks so that was what ribbit software focused on and then moving into Business Catalyst, again, from my experience working with Leanne back in the day, I knew the value of teams and I knew the value of working with smarter people than I was um, or what I thought I was. I reached out, the internet was heating up in in a big way. I reached out through the web. I don't even think Google was around in those days and found a a guy, came across a guy called Bardia Hausman who was based in Sydney. We connected and over a period of three months, realized that we had a great synergy and that was to we had common bond over building software building customer support software knowledge management software and we also had a common bond around hard work ethic and persistence so we decided let's create business catalyst mm-hmm. and then we we started there in 2004 and 2009 adobe acquired us Wow. And then you worked at Adobe for four years doing being an evangelist and doing a small medium business strategy. So you talk more about that? Yeah. So I went from being a CTO and uh, customer support and salesperson in Business Catalyst, mm-hmm. you, know, you always wear a few hats, 
to very focused. Uh, large companies, of course, compartmentalize lots of, di lots of different things. So I was able to move into an area of, of where I wanted to focus, and my passion was around product evangelism. So I had the, the pleasure of being able to work with our channel partners that we had built up with Business Catalyst. In fact, they were the secret behind the success of Business Catalyst. The technology, anyone can build technology, but without a solid sales force, without a solid support team, uh, you're not going to, and marketing, of course, you're not going to do so well. And our channel partners were resellers of our technology. So I was able to focus a lot with them, learn what their customers were looking for, and from that be able to feed it back into the machine, into the corporate environment that I was working within so that product managers knew uh, what was really going on at the coalface mm -hmm. of businesses. So after some time there, I saw that the shift in e-commerce was well and truly moving towards the multi-vendor approach instead of what we call a one-to-many e-commerce mm -hmm. framework. It became many-to-many. -many. You know, we had Uber popping up and we had, uh, of course, eBay's been around a long time, which is a marketplace. Craigslist's mm -hmm. been around a long, long time and many other marketplaces. This is nothing new. But what was shifting was the, the framework and the technology that most e-commerce platforms are built on is <laughs> one to many. Right. And I went, we need a many to many e-commerce platform. We need to power up marketplaces, whether they be for products, people, places, projects, and uh, get ready for this massive shift into the, the marketplace economy, the multi-vendor environments that most people are going to want to transact in. Right. And so... In that, so that's basically what you inspired you to start near me. Is that correct? Correct. And and how we began doing that was to pick an initial business problem that we saw, and that was this excess uh, spare capacity of desks mm -hmm. or office rooms. And so desks near me, which is still running and thriving today, uh, it's was the first customer on top of the near me platform and that was the way we wanted to uh, tackle it is not build it they will come mm -hmm. let's build a white labeled marketplace engine that can satisfy the needs of products services locations and and projects let's actually fix a problem <laughs> and learn how a marketplace works end to end you know what what happens outside the technology what happens when people are trying to game the system? What's happening when uh, somebody comes to a, a location and they can't access the building? What do we do about customer support? How do we uh, engage with people that are the listers, uh, the, the seller, mm -hmm. and the buyer? How do we get liquidity on both sides of the marketplace? So we needed to understand that to be able to properly address the software that then empowered those marketplaces. So when you created Desks Near Me, you actually had the idea of creating sort of the next generation of business catalyst. Is that correct? Yeah, I guess you could say that. Um, it's it, the DNA that's mm -hmm. inside of Near Me as far as the, the approach that we're going to have with channel partners. We're going to be using that. But it was certainly a completely different take on how e-commerce works. Business Catalyst, we would compare with Shopify, Big Commerce, Volution, uh, other e-commerce platforms like that. Whereas Near Me was the many-to-many -many model. Right. And that is where it was completely distinct and built from the ground up. But yes, the DNA would be channel partners are the way to get 
growth. Uh, and that's what we're doing with Near Me. We'll be opening up to our distribution partners, web designers, digital marketing agencies, internet consultants, uh, business strategists, who will be able to provide a value add on top of the Near Me platform. Right. So essentially, the marketplace is really e-commerce 2.0. Is that Yeah, I would say so. Absolutely. We're seeing that with the way that um, Uber, Lyft, um, Airbnb, you know, all the all the big names have already upended entire industries and impacting when when you see a company impacting policy, Mm -hmm. tax law and insurance, you know that they're onto something. When that's not happening, then maybe it's a fad. But when somebody is now having to pay lobby groups, when they're <laughs> off, when they're off at Washington, um, being invited to speak at uh, business symposiums as a thought leader, you know that they have the attention of the establishment uh, or established business models that. Uh, uh, are weary and we saw that with Netflix completely destroying the blockbuster business within 18 months yeah so uh, smart enterprises and corporates um, government or a government um, I'm gonna we'll edit this part out but I guess uh, government jurisdictions mm-hmm. are starting to take notice and I think that's where you actually address that through your publications uh, and ubernomics mm-hmm so for entrepreneurs that are looking to build a marketplace, when did they start coming onto your platform? Or when did you start sort of offering a white label? Well, that, was, that happened about uh, two years ago. We started experimenting with, okay, now it's time to lift the veil and say, well, desks near me, it's not the core focus. Near me is the platform that you can now build on top of. Mm-hmm. And that was, yeah, about two years ago. And immediately we had people come to us in fact all of our leads are inbound we have an incredible marketing team who do a fantastic job of sharing knowledge and content writing uh, podcasts and being a thought leader and that has helped drive a lot of inbound traffic we will also be going the traditional route of outbound eventually but right now it's all been word of mouth and inbound so what verticals are sort of the most popular and the Mm. most attractive and what insights and trends i guess have you seen over the last two years because you've really witnessed sort of the airbnb of x's the uber of y's come to fruition and what's what are you seeing Well, it's right across the board. It's incredible the types of ideas that we see come across our desk. Uh, The entrepreneur level, there's a term uh, we lovingly use called wantrepreneur. Some people want to be be an entrepreneur and they think that they can be opportunistic and quickly let's build a marketplace and we'll, we'll take on the world Mm -hmm. they may not have any experience in that niche that they're going after and and they Mm. really struggle i think unless they've got tenacity and persistence that Mm -hmm. will take them through beyond three years we see that the most successful marketplaces and as i said they're they're happening in all sorts of verticals are those that already have a level of expertise in the industry that they're wanting to go after right and we're seeing it from farm equipment rentals where farmers in denmark are putting up their very large expensive equipment for rent by other farmers (laughs) we're seeing space usage out of australia with spacer.com.au they're building up an ecosystem of people with spare capacity of driveways and lofts and backyards and uh, storage areas where they offer a subscription to access that Hmm. inventory. Uh, We're seeing a lot of services 
and virtual services. So where I want to connect with a business expert mm -hmm. and we, our platform allows you to have a telephone conversation which is um, recorded and uses a masked phone service so that the buyer and the seller or the consultant and the client don't see each other's phone numbers but they can have a conversation, validate that yes, this service provider is, they've got the goods. Okay, hit the button. I want to engage with you. I'm going to pay the rate whether it's by the hour, the day, the week, or the month and or a line item um, charge. And we see virtual conferencing, phone calls, and all of that uh, is also provided. Right. So it's all sorts of verticals, accounting, legal, farm, uh, bikes, kitchens, you name it. And then some of the bigger brands are waking up and realizing, hang on, this is giving us access. These marketplaces aren't cannibalizing our existing customer mm -hmm. sales or product sales. And our channel partners could be part of this ecosystem. Right. And right now, they don't have access to any of that. They've abdicated those roles to social media outlets like Facebook and LinkedIn mm -hmm. and Meetup and other groups that are outside of their uh, sphere of influence. So when did you start to sort of shift your focus to more of the enterprise market? Because that's, as you know, like my Ubernomics thesis is that, you know, I think we might see the dot-com come and go. I mean, I think there's there's some good Airbnb of X and Uber of Y ideas, but there's a lot that aren't good. Um, I think a lot of them will go the way of the dot-coms, but Eventually, I think just like e-commerce got plugged into every single company over the last over the last decade, I think we'll see see the same with this e-commerce 2.0 or the marketplace. And 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 so when did you start to really focus on the enterprise market? Because I'm thinking, given your experience with Business Catalyst, you might have had this all in mind all the way along. Yeah, I've always taken the approach of move up the value chain mm -hmm. and uh, don't go for the race to the bottom. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we're empowering entrepreneurs to do amazing things without mm -hmm. needing to spend a million dollars on development. Uh, but the enterprise, they have always been on the radar. We've been, it's just that they take a long time to make a decision. As we know with mm. any software or any sales into a, an enterprise customer, you've got to get the right stakeholders. You go through decision by committee. Uh, there's a reorg. Okay, we're back to square one again. Let's let's now reestablish a relationship with the new stakeholder. Right. And uh, unless it's driven from the top down, those sales cycles can be very long, up to three years. Ah. And um, and so we've always had our eye on the enterprise. I have to say that Intel are doing amazing innovation with the way their approach is with leveraging the marketplace concept. Now they may not be leveraging transactional based as in money mm -hmm. marketplace so Their intel is a client of yours just to yeah just, intel okay. intel are a client of ours and we uh, have been the first company in the world to do a, a web app based uh integration with their single sign-on. So we support full uh, single sign-on to most enterprise-grade security services and login systems. Mm -hmm. They have 20 million users globally who are Intel developers. And their okay. hypothesis was, well, if these developers are off in Facebook or on LinkedIn or in meetups or other forums, mm -hmm. how can we get access to the information and find out who are the real innovators? Mm -hmm. What innovation is taking place? What if we power up our own marketplace Right. where the the object 
that is being transacted on is a project, an Intel project. So we have all of these Intel developers who come in, uh, list their project, and then people can follow that project, follow that user, collaborate. Uh, they have a, uh, an approach to being able to manage groups. And already in their initial launch, which happened earlier this year, they've got people listing projects that they had no idea existed and suddenly now they have line of sight wow. through that community that they never had before. So you're really helping companies like Intel build community and I guess you could say through advocacy and connection, is that is that right? A absolutely, they are 100% advocating for their constituents which are the, the Intel developer community and especially with their focus on um, uh, real sense and Internet of Things, big data, they're wanting to tap into the, the mind share globally mm -hmm. of people who are experts in one thing and maybe wanting to learn on another. And so they're helping those people cross-pollinate their skill set within mm -hmm. the Intel ecosystem and at the same time being able to identify which are the most popular projects. Wow, there's some guy who's inventing and using Intel's uh, technology to develop a sonic sight. It's a, a digital cane for blind people, which <laughs> audibly tells somebody if there's a pothole or a set of stairs in front of them. Uh, awesome stuff like that. Imagine connecting that to a drone and having... Um, government bodies that do roadworks, a roadwork crew with a drone with a sonic site attached to it surveying roads where <laughs> that information can relay, well, these are where the potholes are. And that could be flying through the night and uh, relaying, I mean, collaboration around that. So, yes, definitely we're seeing this, um, the companies like Intel who are wanting to empower and advocate for their their developer networks by building these platforms, these marketplaces. And then the next step, who knows, maybe if we're able to, with Intel, they could say, well, our top echelon of developers who have high regard in the community, mm -hmm. maybe they're going to offer their services through this platform. So it suddenly could switch over to a, a more of a, you know, pay for time basis. Right. I'm just throwing that out there. That is not on, <clears throat> I speak out of turn. Yeah. Intel have not mentioned that, but you know, these are the, the sky's the limit. That's uh, amazing. So you're really helping them unlock hidden value in, in their corporate ecosystem. It was, yeah. it was there already and they had the social capital with all their developers, but there wasn't sort of this marketplace set up to connect everybody. It was, yeah, it was always there and people wow. were using other platforms to do it on, which Intel didn't necessarily have the access to or had to pay exorbitant prices to the holders of that data mm -hmm. and uh, wouldn't necessarily get all the information either. And what we see as the phase two mm -hmm. is that not just who's doing what projects and who are following people, but where are the tight-knit peer groups that exist? Who are the real influences within this ecosystem? Uh, what reciprocity goes on between peers within this uh, ecosystem where... I can see that actually it's not the person with a million followers. Mm -hmm. It's these discrete peer groups that hold a lot of influence and sway uh, and the reciprocity that exists within those peer groups. That's the sort of predictive analytics we're getting to uh, with these sorts of platforms. And when you own the platform, you own the data right. and you can do stuff with it. So why would a company like Intel come to you, I guess, instead of trying to just build on their own or, or acquiring a startup? Mm, this is the age-old question, build it or buy it. Yes. Um, is it a me too purchase mm -hmm. because they did it, we have to do it? Uh, do we buy it? Do we build it? I think most companies 
have a core competency and when they see that there are other software as a service or platforms available that will give them time to market mm -hmm. uh, that they often will buy it rather than build it now that could be through talent acquisition um, aqua hire uh, outright purchase of a business because it's strategically the right thing for them to do in the long term mm -hmm. uh, i think that a lot of enterprise at the moment are still like hmm sharing economy doesn't right. ring true for me uh ubernomics uh, i can get that because just the terminology uh, they're a big billion dollar business <laughs> um, uh, that gets their attention and then okay all right i get it now i see that this isn't just a fad it's a trend what platforms are out there that can help us experiment. And it could be that it comes out of marketing budget for some of these enterprise clients to build a community mm -hmm. uh, versus we're going to build a product to make money out of. Right. So there's different use cases for different enterprises. Uh, buying it, I think, it's like you said earlier, it's e-commerce 2.0. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of e-commerce platforms out there and why would somebody build an e-commerce solution these days? Right. Uh, I think marketplace technology is going to be the same. That is so fascinating. And what's another company? I think you mentioned to me before that you were working with Hallmark. I know you can't provide too many details, but mm, I think yeah, it's, sure. it's interesting because, you know, people are thinking about all these companies. They're starting to embrace Ubernomics. You know, we've got Amazon, LinkedIn, Expedia, uh, GM, Ford, Hyatt, now names like Intel. And when you tell me Hallmark, I'm like, wow. Because to me, if, you know, if Hallmark's starting to look at this, this means every company should start to look at this. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, any innovative company would be foolish not to look at this mega trend that's mm -hmm. occurring. And there's some incredible studies that have come out of uh, the UK recently. Highly respected analysts have said that you know, this is a $235 billion opportunity. And um, who wouldn't want to be a part of that? You'd, as far as um, back to your core question, mm -hmm. um, in respect to Hallmark, I can't go into details, but it's interesting that companies like Cisco also we've worked with in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, Hallmark, innovative, community-focused, looking for ways that they can empower their community uh, through a marketplace. They, I, I can't go into details about it, mm -hmm. but they have a number of focuses where different kinds of marketplaces could have a massive impact on their access to their community and also empower their community to to be very very successful uh, under the hallmark brand uh, watch this space but um I, I, as I said, I can't go into details yeah. about it but uh, Cisco for example did a sandpit trial with us with both educators mm -hmm. and secondhand router sales uh, in a marketplace. We've seen telecommunication companies like uh, Telefonica in South America. They identified that 30% of uh, their signups on mobile plans were coming from off-net or purchases of mobile phones that weren't done within their ecosystem. Mm -hmm. well, where were they coming from? People were buying them off of a marketplace. Huh. So why wouldn't a telecommunications company power up a marketplace for secondhand phone sales. Right. They, they're not losing a customer. They're gaining two. The person who sold the, the phone could be remarketed. Hey, would you like an upgrade? And the person who purchased the phone could be uh, offered a phone plan. And in nine months' time, well, your phone that you bought through the marketplace is probably getting end of life. Would you like to upgrade? <laughs> so instead of losing a customer, as is thought, we're cannibalizing our new sales, they're getting two new ones. And you only have to go to eBay to look at 
what brands are selling and to see the volume and, and amount of money that people are selling in the aftermarket. Right. Now, when the companies come to you, is it the C-suite that's coming to you? Is it the CEO or is it the marketing department? Or what level is sort of really starting to recognize this structural shift that we're seeing? And yeah, then- sometimes it's the innovation officer. Mm-hmm. They're looking for ways to innovate within the business. In other cases, it has been uh, the marketing department. And other pla- in other cases, it's been the e-commerce manager. And they're looking at how they can actually supplement their existing e-commerce strategy and product by offering a marketplace. Now, we position the product as a marketplace engine, but there's nothing to stop those companies actually building a traditional Mm -hmm. e-commerce marketplace, one-to-many model on the ME, and then flicking the switch to allow those people that bought new products to also buy it, uh, resell it through the marketplace. And after all, if you've sold it to that person, you know all the details of the of the product. You know that they may eventually want to sell it anyway, so why not sell it through the marketplace that you power, that they bought it from originally, and then be able to upsell them right. or at least upsell the person who bought it. Again, you're getting a new customer. So what advice do you have for uh, for executives from companies that are sort of starting to think about, you know, how can they unlock hidden value in their corporate ecosystem? Like how do they go about thinking about this and, and doing this? Because it's a totally foreign concept, um, but obviously it's the future. It is. I think you don't have to break traditional models. A lot of companies are B2B and they have their channel partners and they work within that where we use our channel partners. But um, how could a marketplace empower the existing channel partner market? Could it be that an enterprise offers a marketplace in which their channel partners could put their own products and services in the marketplace mm-hmm. but also become a franchisee or a sub-marketplace with that channel partner's own branding, so their own domain name, their own branding, but it's run on the enterprise brand's overall master franchise marketplace. So uh, you could still have a wholesale channel partner to retail model. Mm -hmm. It doesn't stop that from happening. So I think it's just a matter of time. A lot of a lot of the, the C-suite execs uh, are so busy looking at how they can maintain their existing um, business model. They may be losing market share to a competitor. They're always you know, looking to the left and the right and behind and in front to see how can we catch up with those people. And mm-hmm. uh, new business models are scary. Right. A lot of the time it's, okay, I've got to protect my turf. Uh, no, we can't be too innovative. What if this is a fad? I think now as your research is showing that it is a mega trend mm-hmm. uh, and it's just a matter of putting somebody who has some level of decision-making capability to do some research. Right. And that, uh, there's so much out there now that it would be, I think, foolish for any enterprise, whether they're selling physical goods or services or logistics, to not look at Ubernomics. Mm-hmm. And where do you see Ubernomics five years from now? Say we're having this conversation, mm-hmm. it's 2021. Like what percentage of companies do you think are going to have moved into this space either by you know collaborating with existing startups either putting their you know their physical or human capital on their platform or making a strategic investment in them or acquiring them or or more to your point actually building their own marketplace and sort of you know empowering their stakeholders whether it be their customers their suppliers uh, their partners even their competitors like w- where do you see this I guess five years from now and ten years from now mm. like how fast is the penetration curve going to be? Well, I think the 
in the same way that we talk about the internet of things, mm-hmm. everything will be connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're seeing that happening now with banks adopting blockchain technology. Uh, so, you know, Bitcoin has been this potential uh, threat to banks. Well, no, it hasn't. It's just shown that there's another model. Banks are now looking at how they can have their own blockchain approach to transactions. So they will own it and it'll be legislated at some point and they innovate through the example of a little upstart Mm -hmm. coming along. Companies now are seeing that, yeah, the Internet of Things, everything will become connected. There'll be APIs for everything. Right. And really the what I see is that you don't necessarily go to a website. You'll have an app or there'll be some way of accessing information or the information will just come and fall in your lap and it could be a product or a service or whatever it is from anywhere and everything will be connected. That's the that's where we're seeing even uh, was it Kerry who's the vice president? He just did a lecture the other day at one of the universities and said you, uh, this is no longer, a, uh, this is a borderless world. You are entering into a borderless world. And that is, uh, forget country borders, forget, um, it's going into this globalist mentality, which you know, conspiracy theorists call the new world order. We hear the politicians talk about it all the time. And it, it, it means everything will be connected. It's just going to happen. Right. Uh, it's not an if, it's a when. And I think in five years, we'll have probably the infrastructure globally. We're looking at companies like Google putting in uh, internet access to the far-flung reaches of the world. Facebook's doing the same thing. Uh, We will be connected on even simple devices. RFID will be everywhere. Connectivity will be ubiquitous. Everything will be Mm API-based. How we ingest a product or service that we need to access, who knows? Uh, Is there a sensor that knows that I'm feeling hot hot right now and I need a cold drink? Hey, you know, (laughs) go over to Sally's lemonade stand. Uh, And so the transaction will be facilitated that way. Who gets paid? Well, if it's blockchain, which I believe it'll all be based around something like that, buying and selling will all be connected. There won't be any fraud. Uh, There won't be any issues around um, uh, what do you call it money laundering or anything like that because the central banks around the world will have agreed on a standard uh, and everyone will be transacting through that way and people will just take their clip now the service provider should get the lion's share of that but if it was if the connection was facilitated through a third party a referral word of mouth then how do the other people in that chain get remunerated there'll be some way that that happens and with respect to e-commerce 2.0 or, or marketplaces, do you think every company will have it just like every company has e-commerce today? Or do you think that's still a bit of a far-fetch? Um, yeah, I think everybody will... I mean, buying and selling is the nature of everything. Now, mm-hmm. when we say buying and selling, the means of exchange will change uh, or, or have different options. Barter swap, donate, mm-hmm. sell. The sharing economy was an altruistic expression where it's I share, I give away. Right. We will see more of that. Uh, ultimately, somebody had to pay for the goods though. Somebody yeah. bought the house to share the room. Somebody's paying the rent uh, and the taxes. Somebody had to produce the item. So yes, there will be a sharing component to it. But the means of exchange of value between two people, mm-hmm. that could be anything. Could be money, could be 
Bitcoin or RS coin or whatever they call it by then. Could be a swap, could be points, could be corporate points. Okay, um, how do we get all of these points off of our ledger? Because uh, we've got these frequent flyer or frequent buyer points. Well, through a marketplace exchange, somebody getting goods from one or another company and paying for that with points could get the, the points off the ledger. Mm-hmm. So there'll be all sorts of, there's going to be so many different opportunities for any company, large or small, to tap into this Internet of Things, this API for everything uh, exchange that I think will, yeah, I think everybody will be connected in some way, shape or form. And then, of course, you'll have those who just want to opt out altogether and they'll go back to subsistence living. They'll want to probably have a farm and and grow vegetables and maybe barter will be their way. And I'm sure that um, the local government will institute some kind of policy to make sure that it's all... FDA approved and uh, <laughs> they, get their, they get their rates paid in some way, shape or form, but uh, there'll be those who want to opt out for sure. Right. Wow. Well, that was absolutely fascinating, Adam. Thank you so much. Now, if people want to, uh, to find out more about Near Me or yourself, where do they go? So www.near-me.com. Mm-hmm. So near-me.com. And you can reach out to me directly at adam at near-me.com. I'm happy to ask, uh, ask. I'll ask lots of questions, but I'll also hopefully add uh, value by answering any questions that you have too. Okay, that's great. And just one last thing. Do you have a favorite uh, business strategy book or something related that you can share with us? Mm, I've, I've, I've got to say, I, I read lots of blogs mm-hmm. and uh, I love your articles, by the way, on LinkedIn too. Thank you. Um, and a favorite book especially. I'll tell you what, I had a, a a piece of advice that was given to me by a gentleman called uh, Sir Ian Botham. I was on a plane one day heading between Perth and Adelaide in Australia and sitting next to me was Sir Ian Botham, a very famous cricketer out of England and he said to me after we had a conversation for an hour and a half on the plane, I said, what's some good advice? And he said, laser focus, laser focus, do not waver. Take the light in from all around you Light can be then concentrated into one focused beam. So turn your head left and right, but when it comes to execution, absolutely stay laser focused. So that was the best bit of advice I was given. And uh, I guess any book that Ian Botham has read, uh, written, I would be an advocate for. Right. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Adam. Well, my pleasure. And thank you very much for having me on, Barbara. Okay. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Ubernomics Strategy Podcast. If you're not already a member and you'd like to join me and other professionals in exploring the emerging white space of corporate collaboration I call Ubernomics, the next generation of business strategy, you're welcome to join my Ubernomics strategy group at bradycap.com. That's B-R-A-D-Y cap.com. And if you're interested in connecting directly with me, you can email me at barb at bradycap.com. Again, that's barb, B-A-R-B at bradycap.com. Thanks for listening.